All right, I've got to ask a few questions. First, I need to know how many of you decorated your house with Christmas lights this year? That was a great memory. Right, looking up, great. How many of you this year went out or went out or as a family at a service sang Christmas carols? How'd you do? Christmas carols? Any carolers? A few? Okay. How many of you visited Santa in Lapland? Okay, that's what I thought. How many of you, by a showing of hands, how many of you watched one of the classic Christmas films, Elf, and saw Buddy? Okay, a few. How many of you watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Anybody squeeze that in? Okay, that's a great comedy. Super. How many of you are unapologetic about your diet over Christmas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, amen, me too. How many of you are, uh, how many of you played sports, worked out, did some fun stuff? Yes, I, that's what I did. I was on vacation for 10 days in Arkansas, and my family and my brother-in-law's family, we played basketball for three days. And it, you know when family gets together, you think, yeah, we'll just go easy on each other? No, 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 no. It was high intensity, uh, you know, it was call your own fouls and no one was ever willing to type of basketball. What a great uh, getaway just to enjoy each other. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so excited about this series. If you came here just by chance, if someone just brought you in because you were out doing your walk this morning on Black Rock, you are at the right place. We have such a special morning for you. Before I get there, I do want to take a moment and celebrate. In December, we saw lots of folks uh, brought, uh, brought to services. We saw lots of folks experience Jesus' hope during the Christmas holidays. Uh, some of our children's staff went over and, be on be and above to reach out to their friends, family, and even teachers to bring them to the children's musical presentation. We had family members uh, experience Jesus' hope for the first time by raising their hand to give their life to Jesus Christ uh, on, in mid-December. We had, we had also our Compassion 365 ministry go above and beyond to care for the uh, homeless families associated with Family Promise here in Sacramento. I was so excited to see uh, my neighbors tell me about their experience serving the homeless with Compassion 365 in December. And if you were here on Christmas Eve, we saw our attendance go up 25% this year. We saw 15 people raise their hand to make Jesus the leader of their life in those two services. And what I, what I want to argue is that we are getting the chance to see Jesus' hope be delivered to an imperfect world. And it is just an honor. And I also want to celebrate, we all, myself included, were challenged at the end of the year to give a little bit extra out of God's generosity to us. Uh, and we were hoping to raise some extra dollars that would help us in this, in this new calendar year as we look for a next-gen pastor. Our vision is to provide a pastor for young people in our community. There are 30,000 of them. And as of uh, the end of the year, we had a special offering of $15,210. That's awesome. That's the most we've ever had on a Sunday. I was so, 
that's the, the largest special offering we've ever had. And I want to also update you, we have a very strong candidate for this position. So we're be praying about that, very excited about it. I also want to tell you, because some of you are praying, we did meet with our vice mayor pro tem last Tuesday and looked at land availability, building recommendations in the immediate 95835 zip code area. The meeting could not have gone better. I asked Craig, our executive pastor, who has um, a, just he operates at a very critical, high, excellent capacity thinking. I said, did that meeting go as well as I I thought it did? He said, that was excellent. And uh, we're very grateful to our our vice mayor, Angelique Ashby. She's a a real treat uh, and really cares about our church. Well, with that, I'm more excited about what we're talking about this morning. You're going to get a chance to be exposed to this morning to a modern-day um, a modern-day Eric Lytle is what I would call him. You remember Eric Lytle captured in the film Chariots of Fire in the 80s? This, some of you don't because you weren't born then, but that film, that film captured the life of, an Eng- of, a, of a Scottish uh, athlete, tremendous athlete. Today, you're going to see, a, you're going to see one-on-one interviews of someone that I think is a comparable uh, athlete that ran in the 1939 Berlin Olympics. The interviews that we're going to show you today and throughout the month were provided to us by Ray Johnston personally. Uh, he's the pastor of Bayside of Granite Bay. He interviewed uh, Louis Zamperini last year or the year prior. Louis died last spring at the age of 97. Ray was so gracious. He uh, invited our staff to be a part of his editing even this weekend and gave Adventure all of his interviews. We have all 13 clips that, Bayside of, uh, that the Bayside churches are seeing. So I'm so excited uh, with that. I've got to tell you, some, some of you probably haven't read the book or seen the film. That, it, you know, how many have seen the film unbroken or read the book? Raise your hand. That's, that's quite a few. Super. So just to get us started, so you kind of have an introduction to this this, this 97-year-old who died last spring. I want to give you a little montage interview of this Southern Californian, uh, and then we'll start on his biography and see what Jesus Christ did in his life and will do in ours. Let me say a little prayer before we start. Lord, we are grateful for the chance to let you do a work in our church. Thank you for your leadership in our church, and we're grateful for the chance to let you lead our lives in a way that maybe we've never imagined. Thank you for this life of Louie. May it inspire us today. Give us the right words and help us hear from your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. tougher times you go through, they become more and more hardy. Our generation was the hardiest generation because we had all kinds of adversities, but we overcame them. The tougher times you go through, they become more and more hardy. Trouble is today, people are confronted with a problem and they give up. They're trying to overcome it. It's like a running a race. You, 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 gotta, you run to win. 
my brother told me when, I, when you're tired the last lap, think of it this way, is it one minute of pain worth a lifetime of glory? I sprinted the whole last lap, and, I, and they called it a blistering 56 seconds, which was. The seed I gained 50 yards and a quarter mile is quite a sight. Our missions in the Pacific were thousands of miles. Three zeros jumped us and would not go. They came in so close they couldn't miss us. That's what made the black battle so bloody. We shot down all three zeros, but not before taking on about just under 600 bullet holes. Well, all the men aboard were, were, were hit seriously, I, and I down low when we hit the water. So I thought, well, this is it. There's no way I can get out of this, I'm dying. And I began to sink. I was down 20 feet. And then I kept sinking and sinking. I just said to myself, God help me. So I swallowed gas and oil and blood. And when I got to the top, I threw it all up. And I tried to swim to the raft with the current took it away faster than I could swim. I thought, well, we're all dead. We're not a raft. I was defiant. With that nature I developed as a kid, defiant, that, that's what got me in trouble in prison. When Watanabe would beat me, he'd see my fist clench. It was always the same with the bird. It was, he looked for ways to punish you every day, and especially me, and he always singled me out. You know, I'm in the barracks, uh, and he comes in inspection. I'm always way in the rear. I want to stay away from the guy. Took this big belt he had, a big steel buckle on the end, took it off and hit me across the temple. And boy, I don't go down easy, but I went right down to the ground, and, and that's the way that's the way he treated me, almost on a daily basis. him defiant. He used it himself. He was, in the summer of 32, his uh, sophomore year of high school, uh, it began over a chore that Louie's father asked him to do, according to Laura Hillenbrand. Uh, Louie resisted this chore. His dad, both parents, uh, immigrants from Italy, uh, and uh, Louie resisted. A, a spat ensued, and Louie threw some clothes into a bag and stormed toward the front door. His parents ordered him to stay. Louis was beyond persuasion. As he walked out, his mother rushed to the kitchen and emerged with a sandwich wrapped in waxed paper. Louis stuffed it in his bag and left. He was part way down the front walk when he heard his name called. When he turned, there was his father, grim-faced, holding two dollars in his outstretched hand. That was a lot of money uh, in the 20s for a man who's uh, rather in 32, for a man whose paycheck didn't bridge the week. Can you imagine $2 not bridging the week? Climbed into the roof and uh, he round, oh, so what Louie did is uh, he took the money and he ran away. He rounded up a friend and together they hitchhiked to Los Angeles. They broke into a car and slept on the seats. The next day they jumped the train, climbed into the roof 
and rode north. Details of Louis's runaway are captured in Unbroken. Constantly running from the law, Louis grew up constantly running from administrators and uh, California police officers. That was his life as a young man. He describes himself as a gang-type member. Hear him describe himself as a young boy. So I grew up uh, with no interest. This is the important thing. Yeah. Um, the first interest I had, uh, legitimate, was uh, well, gang-related interest. Yeah, stealing stuff, like any recognition in the paper, hmm. gang steals miners' pies and stuff like that. We went to the beach. We got some some uh, wine. We started drinking wine on the beach. The lifeguards were like policemen then. Mm -hmm. Boy, they came down and said, I'm going to throw you off the piece. And I said, so we stopped drinking the wine. So then I worked at a dairy. And I got a quart glass bottle and I filled it with white paint, poured it back in the paint can, then I left it upside down all night. When they, when they paint dried, the bottle's white now. So then we'd fill that with wine or beer and then go on the beach and drink it. And the lifeguards thought, no, look at those nice kids drinking their milk. <laughs> and, uh, so then the police finally realized that we were the gang doing everything, so they were watching me. And like my brother said, when the police car went south and towards, I went north. And, uh, but when something really bad happened, they would uh, be parked in front of my house. Well, they're chasing me down the street or down an alley. So finally, my brother got fed up with me, and he, um, he said, we got to find an interest for, for Louie. The chief said, well, may I suggest running? We've been chasing them all over town. <laughs> I love hearing you laugh out there. It says to me you can hear the audio well enough. My, my question with Louie is, how, how does one go from running from the law to running to being the fastest high school miler in the country. How do you do that? How do you go from uh, a marital separation and his wife Cynthia's intent to divorce uh, before his uh, moment that we'll talk about this morning? And they're just out of the blue reconciliation. Shouldn't have even happened. How does, that ha how does stuff like that happen? Where people's lives just take a dramatic change. And how does one go, how does one let go of justified uh, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, hatred, bitterness that's, that's indescribable to forgiveness? And I, I want to argue this, this day, today, it's because of the unbroken love that Louis experienced from several people, from his brother, Pete, from his wife, Cynthia, from his daughter, their new daughter, Sissy, and from God himself. I want to read to you a passage of scripture that I know you've heard, but sometimes people forget where it is. It's 1 Corinthians 13, and it defines love. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9 and then verse 13. Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is 
uh, not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then finally, in summary, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these in love is love. What I want to answer this morning is what is unbroken love? During Louis' freshman year, he escalated his thievery into stealing cash income from the Torrance High School basketball game ticket reserve. He would sneak into the gym and steal all the cash, and administrators caught wind of this. They figured it out. They suspended Louis from any sports. And Louis's brother, Pete, who really exemplifies the importance of our need for our own kids to encourage one another, Pete went into the principal's office at Torrance High School. Pete was a couple years uh, Louis Sr. He was a good athlete, and he appealed for his brother. The principal gave in. Pete had some real influence on campus. Pete, Pete actually held the, the, the school record for the mile. It was like a 503, 504. And he was kind of a, a real, a real um, really good with words. And he convinced the principal, principal to let uh, Louis run. Well, Louis, Louis became, Pete became Louis's advocate. And I just made that note. And I'm repeating it again, I realize you know, when we go through seasons with our children, with our, with our teenagers, with our young adults, we not only want to be praying for them, but we want to be leaning on our other children to encourage one another. We want to be leaning on our children to mentor one another, to, to come alongside one another. Pete did this for Louie. Louie became an unbelievable athlete. I told you that Pete took... Louie, by his side, Pete ran a 503-504 mile. It wasn't long before, after uh, Pete pushed Louie, that uh, Louie ran a 421 senior mile. It was the fastest mile ever run by a high school kid. Louie then went on. He he actually competed at USC um, over a summer while he was still in high school. He competed against USC athletes in the two-mile, and he won. Can you imagine uh, and then he had opportunity to run at Berlin, which I want to show you. How do you get there? How does, how does someone experience this kind of rechanneling of their defiant, of their, of their sin, their selfishness? And I want to tell you, I think the way it happens is it's the way God works in our lives. And it's this idea that unbroken love is patient. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians He said in verse 4, love is patient. God is patient with us. He was patient with Louis. And his brother's brother's mentoring resulted in an incredible experience for Louis. Here it is. He'll talk about it. This was during the Depression. And I'd never been on a ship. And... uh, he took us aboard, gave us our rooms, and then we went to eat. I couldn't believe the food they brought. He kept bringing it and bringing it. Oh, God. I, so I got my gold medal eating going across the Atlantic. I gained 14 pounds. On your way to the Olympics. Yeah, and uh, I was going to lose it, but then I got to the village. They had a beautiful semi circled building, two stories high, 
and every door was a door to a different cuisine, French, you know, Dutch and whatever, English, and I had to try them all, and I couldn't lose the weight. So in the final race, I was staggering back, trying to keep up the pace, but it was too fast for me. Uh, but the last lap, my brother used to tell me that everybody's tired for the last lap, but think of it this way, isn't one minute of pain worth a lifetime of glory? In other words, just run your guts out. And so I sprinted the whole last lap, uh, and they called it a blistering 56 seconds. And I, and I couldn't believe I had that speed. So it made the papers and made the New York sports magazines. Well, as a result of the fast lap, I had, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Goebbels came over there. All the officers were in a buffer zone between Hitler and us, the Americans. Uh, he came over and said, Hitler wants to meet you. I said, I didn't win a gold. He said, no, but he wants to meet you. I said, why? I went over there and he reached down and I shook his hands lightly and he said, uh, the boy with the fast finish, that was it. So but everybody in the stands were, I'm not going to win. They know I can't win, but to, to see a guy gain 50 yards in a quarter mile is quite a sight. Do you hear that? To, to see a guy gain 50 yards in the last quarter mile of a 5,000. He didn't make the mile uh, Olympic race. He made the 5,000, about a three-mile run. C can you imagine someone running a 56-second quarter in the last quarter of a three-mile run? How about this? How many of you are thinking, I cannot imagine ever running a 50-second second quarter in my life? It would never happen. 52nd, uh, rather, or 6th. Uh, when we returned from the war, he met in, in Florida, where he spoke a lot all over the country, he met beautiful Cynthia Applewhite. And uh, yet, as much fun as they had, e even in the face of Louis's chronic business failures, everyone was offering him uh, business opportunities, and it just seemed like he failed left and right at them. Um, their early married years were full of joy. Lots of parties, speaking engagements, etc. But as the years from the end of the war increased, Louis was using alcohol to help him deal with the PTSD of POW prison camp. And specifically, the director of that camp was known as the bird. He couldn't sleep through the night. Louis could not sleep through the night without significantly intoxicating himself to sleep. His drinking was, was affecting his marriage. Even their newborn daughter, Sissy, was not enough to comfort Louis from the bitterness, the anger, the murderous, I'm not exaggerating, thoughts and plans that Louis had to actually go back over to uh, Japan and try to murder the bird. Uh, one night, Louis had a haunting dream of the bird, is what they called him, uh, trying to choke the life out of him. Uh, while Louis was sleeping, and in this dream, Louis worked himself free into a leveraged position and got the bird by the neck. And then he heard a high-pitched scream and realized that he had his beautiful wife, Cynthia, by the neck, not the bird. I share this detail with you just so you know the 
some of the, the results of uh, PTSD. After Cynthia caught uh, Louie actually shaking their newborn daughter uh, out of frustration, uh, Cynthia planned on divorcing him. She said, it's over. I can't, I, if I can't trust you alone with Sissy, then I can't, I can't uh, stay married to you. I share these awful details this morning with you because I think it's important that we all acknowledge as we hear about uh, PTSD in the years to come for our beloved military that we're all capable of doing things that, that we wish we, uh, that are the result of some of the trauma we've seen. We're all capable of doing things that we regret. We're all capable of allowing our fleshly natures, what the Bible calls it, to control us. Uh, I'm capable of these things. But I also wanted to share this marital moment with Cynth- of Cynthia and Louie because as I, tr- as I read last week in the news, Monday was Divorce Monday. Did you know that? Happy Divorce Monday. It, 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 was, it was the day in the year when the divorce filings are at their highest. Uh, families have their final Christmas together, their final New Year's, and then they start filing. And I just wanted to encourage you this morning that, that God's love is a patient love. God's love is a patient love. And I want to remind you this morning over and over that unbroken love is patient. Well, after this separation, as Louie and Cynthia were walking down their apartment hallway uh, for the last time, a random couple invited them to go hear Billy Graham at his 1949 L.A. crusade. Louie said, I'm absolutely not going to go. Well, Cynthia went. It changed her life. She made a first-time decision to commit her life to Jesus Christ. Before the crusade, she, like I said, had intended to divorce Louie. But afterwards, she wanted to make their marriage work. And Louie will tell you, it, it meant the world to him when she said, after her attendance at the crusade, that she wanted to make their marriage work. He then consented to go. Before I show you Louis's take on the crusade in 1949, I've got to tell you, interestingly, this crusade was to have already come to a close after Cynthia attended. It was not scheduled to continue, but they had such incredible results that the Billy Graham staff believed that they, were, that they should continue to offer uh, the meetings. They were packed out, and you'll see what happens here. I knew I had to change my life. I was, I was getting drunk every night after the war from a real severe case of post-traumatic stress. And uh, my wife decided to leave me. And then someone talked to her and going down to hear Billy Graham. Because he was a new young evangelist, nobody ever heard of him. But uh, she came home and uh, was her new life. And started to preach to me and I just, on the part of I left. 
And the uh, next day she said, uh, tried to get me to go to the meeting with her. And I just absolutely refused. But then she said, and I was really upset about a divorce. She already filed proceedings. And she said, well, because of my conversion, Louis, I'm not gonna get a divorce. Well, boy, that was good news to me. Really good news. That softened me up. And then she kept arguing with me. I thought, okay, I'll go. So I went on one condition. And <clears throat> when that fellow says, every head bind, every eye closed, we're out of there. Billy's, like he usually does, quoting scripture. And uh, then I got up, I got my wife and I said, I, I got to get out of here. So I stood up, started to leave, and then he said something that when people come to the end of their rope, there's nowhere else to turn, they turn to God. I said, yeah, that's what they did on the raft. I forgot all about the thousands of promises on the raft in prison camp, in the cell on Kwajalein, 43 days in a dungeon. That's all they did was pray, God, get me out of this, get me home alive, and I'll seek you and serve you. God kept his promise, and I didn't keep mine. I went forward, I didn't expect anything to happen. I just thought, well, I got to go back and, and unload my life to God. But this guy had me on my knees and uh, gave me the scriptures. I made a decision for Christ. And it's just as soon as I made that decision for Christ, my whole life changed. I had complete peace for the first time in my life, and I couldn't understand it. Uh, I knew as I was still on my knees, I knew I was still getting drunk. I was still living a wild life. And I knew that I forgave all of my guards, including the bird. I thought, this is impossible. But it was in me. I went to the liquor cabin, I took out, and this is, her father was an importer, so I had a lot of classical booze. <laughs> Free booze. And I poured it all down the drain, got rid of it, and uh, that was it. And uh, now, the book got a five-star rating, unbroken from all the critics, but one gave it a four-star. And he said, the reason I gave it a four-star rating is because I cannot understand how a fellow under severe post-traumatic stress can get over it in a moment. Well, any man being in Christ is a new creation. And how long does it take to be in Christ? The minute you say, I believe. And so that's why on my knees, I, I was confused. I said, well, God, I, I'm still getting drunk, and, I, and I've forgiven the, the, all my guard, I've forgiven the bird. That was miraculous. Okay, that was the first night in three years I didn't have a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. If there's anyone here that would say, you know, that's a prayer I need to pray. I believe for the first time. I'm going to give you a chance this morning even to be prayed for, to come down in a, in a few moments and let us pray with you, with our prayer team. I, I don't know if anything special will happen to you, but, but maybe there's a special decision for you to make today. I've told you, I think an unbroken love is patient. Just that, it's patient. God was patient with Louis. Uh, he used his brother Pete. God was patient with Louis. He used his wife Cynthia. God was patient with Louis. He even used his newborn daughter Sissy. And I want to ask you a few questions. Do, do you have a Pete, a Cynthia, or a Sissy that is 
God is using to try to patiently move you towards him. Uh, I also want to ask you, in light of his awful uh, exposure to evil by the bird and his resulting uh, PTSD, do you, have you found yourself left by evil of some sort and now enslaved to bitterness to fear, to vengeance, or even murderous thoughts like he had a plan to carry out vengeance. I ask the question openly because we don't think about it. How, how has God been patiently loving you? It, has God put someone in your life where he's prompting you to patiently love? And then lastly, what is God asking you to do to trust him for a miracle with your hurt and your heart today? Maybe your, your decision today is to make good on your deal. I love that line. I, he remembered being in that raft and being out on a rope because, as, as we'll hear later this month, he, he, he only, when he was in the Pacific, he caught the very end of that, the, of that rope of that raft, the last two feet. He just happened to be by him when he came up out of the water. Is there, is there a deal that you made with God a long time ago that you haven't followed through with? Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ, and, and uh, we, we got a class we're offering. Maybe it's time for you to do that, and, and, to, and to let us dip you under the water so you can publicly say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Maybe you just need prayer this morning. Maybe as you enter 2015, you're like, hey, I want to go back to, you know, 1995. <laughs> Maybe this year is looking dismal you need prayer or maybe you've never made jesus the lord of your life by simply saying i believe i want to lead you in that prayer right now and then we're gonna i'm gonna close my time my present time with you by putting up a final clip of louis you're going to see him as as if i heard correctly the only pow uh, american to return to his japanese prison camp when the olympics were held in japan you're going to see him carry the torch. And, and you're going to hear him talk about the importance of being tough and having hope in difficult situations. And I just want to give you a chance to come forward this morning and let us pray for you. I want to pray for you. If you don't have anything you want to say, just come up and we'll pray for you um, during this time. I want to lead you in that prayer, though. Uh, maybe for you, special day is today to make a first-time decision to believe in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this life. Thank you for this incredible biography. What a story. And it gives us hope to know what you can do in our lives. It gives us hope to know what you can do in the lives of our immediate family and even extended family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. Lord, I can't help but think that there's someone here that's never made a first-time decision to believe in Jesus, personally, to make him their leader and Lord. If that describes you, I want to challenge you right from where you're seated to make that decision that Louis made that changed his whole life, made him a new, a new creation. Right from where you're seated, I challenge you, right from where you're seated, to just say, God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead and that by believing in him, I am a new creation. And if you just prayed that prayer with me, 
I want to acknowledge your decision. Would you just raise your hand from where you're seated? I want to acknowledge it. Anybody pray that prayer for the first time with me? Raise your hand high so I can see it. Anybody? Praise the Lord, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Praise the Lord, sir. Anybody else? Lord, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to close with this clip, and then Chuck's going to lead us in communion. If you would like prayer, I invite you to come down. Don't be bashful. Don't be afraid. Come on down and let us pray for you right now. And uh, I'd like my prayer counselors to come forward, too. And we're going to close with this final clip.